What's up, y'all? Buddy Elliot of the Nolcast here, uh, up here in Nashville, and uh, got up a little early morning to do a little solo uh, Nolcast short episode. Uh, I had a little microphone trouble, so I had to order a part on Amazon. Uh, ultimately, didn't get here in time for Aaron and I to record together, uh, so we will uh, probably do our recording together on Thursday evening, give you something nice to listen to over the weekend since FSU is, of course, on the bye week. Uh, they are practicing this week, but they're using this time to uh, get healthy. So they would try to work on some fundamental stuff, mainly just rest up. It's a team that has been kind of beat up, and yet uh, got a great win against North Carolina, a pretty dominant win, uh, if you ask me. And it was the first time this year where they've had more of their guys uh, back and healthy, although I guess you could say they're pretty healthy against Notre Dame. Back when Notre Dame was also you know, fairly healthy, and they gave them a pretty game fight. And that's that's a reason for – uh, you know, for hope. But I, I got to thinking about this roster, and I wanted to do a little little short episode on this. Uh, we'll do a, more of a midseason check-in when Ingram and I reconvene. Uh, but, you know, I got to thinking, man, like this team looks so much better when it has more of its starters in there. And you might be thinking, hey, bud, of course, right? <laughs> like any team's going to look better uh, with its starters in there. And I think that's probably fair. Uh, but I will also note that I think this team in particular, uh, because it has had it had three head coaches in a four-year span, uh, has some real roster deficiencies that are exposed when you have guys go down at certain spots. The drop-off from, hey, that's, a, that's not a good player, but a competitive player within the ACC, to, oh, man, that guy just can't play in this league, uh, is, is real. And I think we've seen it throughout the season at times. And I wanted to get into, you know, sort of why, right? And why I I don't have any more games FSU will win this year. Hell, they might win one more. They might win three more. Who, who knows? Maybe maybe they catch a whole lot of breaks and win four more. I don't think that's real likely, but it's, uh, I guess, in theory possible. I know, um, I know Bill Connolly right now has them about a 15% chance to make a bowl. So if you run his numbers and just kind of simulate that out, okay. I think after after an 0-4 start, FSU fans would certainly take a 15% shot to make a bowl game. Uh, if this team comes back to make a bowl, that would be pretty incredible. But I, I wanted to, to start here, and I did some, some charting this morning in my notebook. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, uh, you can see me hold up the notebook there. I don't know why. I don't know why I really did that, but this is kind of a pet project of mine, right? I, I like looking at how things work in the sport of college football. And I like saying, what, why do things happen, right? Why, why do we have these defensive teams right now uh, dominating at the top of the sport? Georgia with a you know, walk-on caliber quarterback is, is number one team in the country. And Iowa is sitting number two. And, you know, I think if you trace that back, they were um, you know, the, the quarterback class of 2019, was very disappointing. I remember you guys probably heard me say, hey, I'm out here to lead 11. Man, this class sucks compared to prior years. It really does. Sorry if you had kids in the car for saying sucks. I hope I can say that. But um, I guess I probably wouldn't want to say it around my two-year-old. So apologies. Uh, but, like, that class stunk, and we're seeing that now. I mean, the, the guys who should be juniors nationally at the quarterback position just aren't good. I mean, Spencer Rattler just probably lost his job. Sam Howell doesn't look like a first-round pick at all. Uh, there's a whole lot of guys in that class who just weren't very good compared to, like, the prior year with you know, Trevor and Justin and, and those guys who were 
you know, who were no doubt studs. And then, you know, obviously the 2020 class with Bryce and DJ and, and CJ and guys who I'm still confident will be absolute studs going forward. Uh, I, I think at least I, I'm not losing faith in, in DJU just yet, given his, uh, given his you know, elite track record against top competition and physical tools. But another one of, one of my pet projects in college football is the effect of the early signing period. And I got to tell you, FSU recruiting wise could not have timed up its coaching decision worse uh, when, when it did. Right. I mean, Jimbo with all the, you know, the personal stuff, obviously there uh, in 15 to 17, and then he leaves for AM and they bring in a new coach and, you know, Willie Taggart made a lot of mistakes, but one thing that was really out of his control uh, was that 2018 recruiting class. Uh, that was the first year of the early signing period. And I got to tell you, a lot of people who signed classes that year as new head coaches, their classes absolutely failed. And they're not reaching their full potential right now because of what they got out of those classes. We've seen that at schools that are actually having success, you know, like Florida A&M, and we've seen schools that are you know, not having success in Florida State. Those 2018 classes, for the most part, were huge disappointments. And I, for the coaches who just got hired and had a you know, scant few weeks to put together the class. And I think the main reason for this is there's sort of like a self-selecting bias. I think you have to, to incorporate the, the data of market opinion and figure out what, why are these kids available? Like as a group, why are you, coach who just got to the school, able to sign this four-star player who maybe has four-star physical tools, right? I, I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that they did or that their ratings from a physical standpoint were bad. I do think though, there is a high likelihood that some of these higher rated players that the schools, when they have a new head coach are signing in that very short window of time, I think they might be available for a bad reason, right? Maybe it's character, injury history, competitive temperament, mental health problems, which you know, we have a couple guys in, in Willie's first class had, obviously. Um, I, I really kind of wonder if maybe other schools have superior data on that. And it, it does make me curious. So I, want, I wanted to go through and run through this. And I will tell you that FSU is actually attrition-wise from the 2018 class, kind of middle of the pack. Um, and then we'll, we'll see in some future classes how you know, firing coaches that quickly can really mess up your roster for a long time. But check this out. So I went ahead and charted this. And what I'm going to define it as basically is, uh, did you complete your eligibility at the school or not. Uh, now, for purposes of my analysis, if you went pro early, obviously that counts as completing your eligibility. If you were a graduate transfer, I also counted that as completing your eligibility. So, you know, if you, if you got if you got four years and bounced, okay, right? Like you went somewhere else, FSU got four years out of you. That's that's plenty. Uh, but you know, if you just transferred after sophomore year or something, or uh, you know, got hurt and were done, or got kicked off the team, then obviously I put that in the no column. So let's start with Willie's first class here. And he had a couple of weeks to put this together. And I, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, right? Um, uh, Jaden Lars would be obviously now uh, at Boston College. So he's a no. Uh, AJ Lighton is a no, you know, transfer dismissed. Sante Samuel, clearly a hit. I mean, total stud. Robert Cooper is a yes. Warren Thompson is a no. Although it looks like he might have his act together a little bit at Arkansas. You know, I know we had a pretty critical drop in that game, but he also had a couple of good catches. So good, good for Warren. Um, you know, kind of getting stuff together there. Treshawn Harrison is a no. Xavier Peters is a no. Malcolm Lamar is a no. Isaiah Bolden is a no. Amari Gaynor, yes, he's still on campus. 
Uh, Cameron McDonald, yeah, still on campus. Christian Meadows is a no. Dennis Briggs is a yes. Jordan Young is a yes, although he doesn't, you know, he doesn't play. So those are the kids that you signed who were in the top 400 players in the country. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So 14 players that you signed were in the you know, 24-7 sports composite. So that's the you know, combining of all the industry sources there. Of those kids, one, two, three, four, five. So five of 14 of your top 400 kids that you signed in the 2018 class either completed or on track to complete their eligibility with the Knowles. You've got some of your, I don't want to call them scrubs, but some of your, your lesser rated players are still on campus. Uh, but those are guys who obviously have more limited upside. Um, now, Anthony Grant and Christian Armstrong are both gone. Demarcus Adams is gone. Demarcus Chapman is gone. And Chaz Neal is gone. So obviously, even more guys there are uh, are, are gone. Um, but you know, Keyshawn Hilton and, and Jalen Goss are, are still around. I think that's what, six out of 21 are still on track with your eligibility with the Knowles. I'll go ahead and recount this one more time here. Samuel Cooper, that's that's two. Man, um, Briggs is three. Jordan Young is four. Jalen Goss is five. And Keyshawn Hilton is six. Yeah, so six out of 21, guys. That means 15 players that you signed in that 2018 class are no longer on campus. 15 of 21. That wrecks your roster. And then, obviously, comes the transfer portal, which was also very ill-timed for the Knowles because a lot of those guys came in highly rated. They felt like they should be playing early. And uh, you know, with, with all the different coaching turnover, they obviously felt that they were greener pastures. And hard to blame them, right? You signed up for one guy, and then they ax him in two years, and then you know, the new guy comes in. Uh, so, obviously, some challenges there. But that's a major problem right now. This roster does not have – in a time of super seniors and COVID seniors, right, as we call them, the guys who have that sixth year, FSU is lacking in people who have four years, right? Where are their fourth-year players who have been in the program who, who know what's going on? So obviously, uh, I think that pretty much demonstrates what happens here, why you don't have that competitive depth on this team. But I'll continue. I actually, if you look at Willie's first full class, the class he actually had a full year to put together, you know, we, we recall this class for some of the misses in it, right? Um, you know, trying to uh, still get Evan Neal when everybody who knew anything would tell Willie and his staff that they were not going to sign Evan Neal that late in the year, given the year that they were going to have. But this class has, like, is kind of, it's almost half your starters right now, right? They signed uh, 21 guys again, and... You know, one of their misses was obviously Marie Schoolsby, who signed a letter of intent but never enrolled. But 16 out of the 21 in this class are still on the roster slash, you know, on track to uh, to finish their eligibility with the Knowles. And that class has some guys who are either starting or contributing, right? Akeem Dent, Brendan Gant, Travis Jay, uh, Lucas is gone, Quayshon Fuller is still around and maybe turning the corner there. You know, Julian McCray. Obviously doesn't do much. Uh, Kalen Deloach improving into a really nice player. Raymond Woody transferred. Curtis Fan uh, transferred to Green. It was still a contributor. 
McClendon, uh, you know, contributor, Darius Washington starter, and turned out to be a good player. Jarvis Brownlee, ditto. True Thompson, you know, got hurt, still around, obviously has contributed some in prior years. Uh, Kevon Glenn is out. Ira Henry, uh, not a contributor. Jay Williams, I believe, completed his eligibility um, as a senior. I think he was a one-year Juco guy. Maurice Smith, obviously a starter. Malcolm Ray actually played uh, some, some nice snaps for you against North Carolina at the defensive tackle spot. And then Ryan Fitzgerald is your kicker. So your first full class is not really a problem here at all. It's the 2018 class where you have no seniors, right? And no, like, like you need it. I was thinking about this. I mean, you got guys like Wake Forest has all these starters returning, and these are 22, 23-year-old men. And FSU's got some talented dudes who can hang with them. But the backups can't hang, right? The backups are 18, 19-year-olds who are somewhat talented, but probably not normally FSU talented, and they certainly are more inexperienced. All right, let's go ahead. So pretty big change there, right? I mean, 6 to 15 in the 2018 class, 6 yes, 15 no's. In the 2019 class, 16 yeses, 5 no's. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big difference, y'all. Let's go ahead and go, though, to the 2020 class. This is the first class that Mike Norvell has signed. Um, and here, I think we'll see a, a bit of a concerning trend. I expect a lot more attrition from this class. This is not the full class Mike signed. This is the short season, early signing period class where you know, you're hired and you have like 16 days to put together a recruiting class. Again, this is where I really think that the chance that you're getting guys, especially your top rate guys that the rest of the industry didn't actually want is extremely high, right? I'm, I'm, I am very skeptical of some of these recruiting battles that these staffs win. It doesn't mean all of them. But I'm skeptical of recruiting battles after seeing this data for four years now that these staffs win when they are just hired. Because I kind of wonder, eh, okay, wait, you're going after this kid, and this guy's going after this kid, and this guy was also just hired. Why is no established coaching staff really fighting, you know, for this kid? Um, but obviously, I think there's also some self-selecting bias in that, in that, you know, why did you fire your coach, right? You probably were having some tough circumstances, so maybe that's why some of the very best schools don't want some of these kids. So let me go ahead and run down this list. And I will say on the surface that Mike's numbers actually look okay here. But I think if you, if you go under the hood a little bit, there's there's obviously some problems. Um, Damari Tate had the academic uh, redshirt year, first year, and then got hurt. I think there's still some hope for him, but you know, we'll see. He was their, uh, their composite four-star in the class, 35th overall. Brian Robinson, their number two player, just transferred out. Chubba Purdy uh, has had some injury issues, but he also can't seem to see the field, which has me very skeptical that he's going to be a long-term uh, answer at the quarterback position. Jadarius Green McKnight doesn't really get on the field very much. Loris Toafili, okay. I mean, he's not a bad player, but like he's clearly not one of the top two backs in this or on this team. Steven Dix uh, you know, looks like a million bucks, but just the, the mental side of the game isn't really there quite yet. Ja'Kai Douglas, uh, somebody who I thought actually was going to be a decent slot uh you know, hasn't really seen to, to blossom a new contributor despite the, the receiver room being terrible. Uh, so those were those were your guys in the top 300. Um, none of them start. Toa Philly is a backup for you. But like none of your – you sign one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys in the top 300 in that year. And I would expect normally in a normal year that you would have more, more than one of those guys uh, starting for you as second-year players. And right now they have none. And then Corey Wren, who's obviously somebody you took because the speed hasn't really super stayed healthy, and they, they're trying to find a way to use him. 
uh, Kendron Poitier, uh, 493 in the country, long-term project. Maybe there's some hope there. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Jay on the cluster. I don't think he's ever going to play here. He was your last top 500 player. Um, so again, in reviewing this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten guys in the top 500 that, uh, that Norvell signed in that short season class, zero starters in their second year, zero. That's difficult. And I think there's a reason I, I, I'm very skeptical of these short season classes that these guys, that these guys sign when, when they, when they, you know, when they sign up now, some of the guys they didn't that they had to fight over some, but maybe they weren't quite as big of a battles. Robert Scott, they beat out Arkansas, another coach, uh, you know, in, in in his first year there with Sam Pittman, they they wanted him. I believe Ole Miss wanted him as well, if I recall. Uh, with again another guy in his first year there, uh, Robert Scott's actually turned into a decent player for you. He's not a star, but could be a decent guy, maybe a guard at the next level if, he, if he's able to go pro. Uh, Sidney Williams gets some burn for you in, in, in the secondary. Josh Griffiths, obviously off, off the team. Thomas Schrader, somebody who they were kind of hopeful on, but then he got hurt. I don't know. We'll see kind of what his long-term uh, outlook is. You know, we got to see him uh, without the shoulder pads at the Louisville game, and I know Ingram was, was kind of disappointed in, in you know, physical development there, so we'll have to see how much bigger he can get. Take Rodemaker, I don't think he's ever going to play. Uh, Darian Williamson, C. I mean, receiver – was having some trouble catching the ball, has played in a couple games this year. You know, Zane Herring, we'll see. Damian Webb's already off the roster. Carter Boatwright, not going to play. DJ Lundy actually gets some burn for this team and is a starter uh, in some games. Lloyd Willis, I think long-term could be something. TJ Davis, you know, we'll see, possibly. Uh, Marcus and Douglas, I, I'm not really buying that. Uh, Mastromano, the, the punter, obviously. And then, uh, and then Manny Rogers. So in that class... Mike and company signed um, 25 guys. Five have already are already not completed their eligibility here after just two years. And I think, I mean, if you set the over-under at the number that will actually complete their eligibility at Florida State, it has to be under 50%, right? There's no way you think of those remaining 20 names that I read off that half will stay four years or more. This is just the reality of signing a short season class. I think you're getting guys who other teams knew were flawed at the time that you know, maybe as an industry, we didn't know were, were quite as flawed. And we're seeing this at other schools too. This is not like a, this is not a Florida state issue. The issue of Florida state is that they've had two coaches or, you know, two short season classes in a three year span, the transfer portal hit, which allowed those guys to, to bolt right after you met coaching change. And then you also had COVID hit, which meant that the 2021 class that you signed, um, you didn't really have much time to evaluate and get out to meet these kids. I will say, though, that they're actually kind of optimistic on the 2021 class relative to its ranking. Um, that class finished, what, 22nd nationally and fourth in the ACC. Uh, Hunter Washington could be a contributor. I don't know if he's going to be like a no-doubt starter long-term. Malik McLean, they obviously like. We'll see on Shawnbury Jackson. They like Amarion Cooper a lot. Robert Orr could be a long-term guy for them uh, and, and be a player. I think Patrick Payton could be somebody long-term for them. George Wilson, maybe the same. Byron Turner, I, I think, will probably be a contributor at some point. You know, Josh Burrell, the same. Bryson Estes, we'll, we'll see. Kevin Knowles, I think, is already a hit. I mean, the guy can cover at an ACC level and is already contributing on, on this defense. Jackson West, I know they're high on long-term. Josh Farmer, the same. Uh, Jordan Eubanks, at, at linebacker. 
know, again, we'll see Shine Brown. I know they're very high on long-term. Kobe Gross, um, don't know. Uh, and then Destin Hill, who I expect to be part of the class of 2022. So that even in a COVID year, right, where none of these kids had ever really had much of a chance to get out and meet Mike Norvell's staff. I think over half of them had never met the staff in person. Even in a COVID year, I think their hit rate on the 2020 class, the year that they actually had the, the year to get to know these kids over Zoom, is going to be higher than Mike's short season class or than Willie's short season class. And so this is the, the issue, right? When you have this much attrition and these many guys – this many guys leaving the program and other programs out there who've had some coaching stability, they have these you know, super seniors who got the free year to come back for another year. Your depth is really exposed on a week to week basis. If this team has very good injury luck, it can stay healthy and be competitive in some of its remaining games, right? If it doesn't, I think the blowouts return and they may, they may get blown out anyway in one, one or two of these. They're, they may just have an off day where what they're trying to do doesn't, doesn't match up really style wise with what the opponent uh, wants to do. But I don't know. I, I, I thought about this when Robinson transferred. I was like, damn, how many guys in that class of 2020, so the short season class that Mike signed, how many were rated in the top 500 nationally, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. No starters. I mean, you, you expand it out. How many were rated in, in the top 1,000, right? Or the top 800? And you, know, you only had one or two starters there. That's kind of an issue and is one that is going to take a couple of years to recruit out of. This is not going to be fixed with just one more class. They need like two more classes to kind of get this thing back to a competitive ACC roster, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, anyway, if you're a fan of another team, Watch this video and think about the consequences of, you know, firing somebody after only two years. I understand why they did it. Certainly, uh, there was a lot of you know, behind-the-scenes stuff that was problematic, and uh, the, the administration did not have confidence that the team was going in the right direction. And uh, but that doesn't mean they get to hit the microwave and just fast-forward this thing, or whatever analogy you want to use on the roster rebuild. You fire a coach after two years in the early signing period era you're going to have a roster problem, more likely than not. And uh, we're seeing that across the country in a couple spots. FSU just happens to be a shining example of it. So anyway, I'll talk to you guys again on, uh, on Thursday night slash Friday morning. Maybe we'll do uh, maybe we'll do a little like live chat thing on Thursday night, depending if we want to open this thing up, if you guys like that. Make sure to give this video a thumbs up. Please subscribe, as always, and uh, thank you for supporting us. I should probably give our sponsors a shout-out <laughs> on this Thank you to Louisiana Hot Sauce, Tarpon Cellars, the awesome team at Legendary Home Loans, Chad and Shannon, 844-FSU-LOAN, Matt at Congruity HR Solutions. If you're a small business or big business needs help with payroll HR solutions, give Matt a call at Congruity HR Solutions. And uh, also, of course, shout out to Matt at Madison Social. I'll see you guys next time.